Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the Watt. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Before we roll the audio on this PFT Live podcast, we want you to know that Mike Florio does an afternoon podcast. Why? To catch all the late-breaking news and developing stories in the NFL, of course. So you got to subscribe to PFT PM as well. Go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Art19, or Google Play. Search PFT PM and subscribe. Boom. Done. Thanks for the support. Now, stats. Another hour of the PFT Live podcast. Monday edition of Pro Football Talk Live. NBC Sports Radio. Peter King is in today. Chris Sims on vacation. What's that? What's a vacation? What are you doing, Sims? Your life is a vacation. Friday's off. Just showing up for the final two hours of the show, sleeping like a normal person. Now he's vacationing like a normal person. That's all right. He deserves it. I won't say mean things about him. See, when I'll say mean things about him to his face, it's not fun to say mean things about him when he's not here. I'll be nice. You be nice. I'll be nice until he's back next week. As far as I know, he'll be back next week. Unless he gets lost. It's good that he'll have his kids with him to keep him from getting lost. If he was by himself, I'd be very concerned. So we'll miss Chris this week. We've got Peter King a couple of days this week. Big Cat, I think, is going to be with us on Wednesday. And the plan is Shereen Williams, who sources close to me tell me now has a camera in her house with a disgusting Roger Staubach jersey in the shot. Thursday, Friday, Shereen, from her home, which is nice for her. It's always nice to be able to do this in your house. It's much easier to do it in your house. Last week at home, up at 520. Not at my house, up at 440. That's a big difference. When you're talking about the hours before the sun comes up, that's a big difference. And then last week was recovery week, just from... The time in Miami, 
the blur, it just was a blur. When you're going through it, it feels like work and effort and 50 interviews and 440, the alarm goes off every day and you're in a strange place and in a van all the time. And the I don't know how I don't get car sick. I think I just accept the fact that I can't start getting car sick because you're riding so much when someone else is driving. If you get car sick once, you're going to get car sick all the time. So just don't get car sick. But then all that stuff ends and you're home and you recover. And the first weekend without football is approaching. And we talked about this last week. It's nice to be a normal person. It's nice to not have to worry about football. It's nice to not have to cover football. And there was more football. And I didn't know how to feel about the more football. I didn't want to watch the more football because I didn't want to write stories about the more football. I wanted to do other stuff. I wanted to live my life a little bit. And then 2 o'clock Eastern came on Saturday, and it was the Seattle Dragons at the D.C. Defenders, and it looked like electric football with this kickoff that I immediately fell in love with. The rest of the weekend, eh. I'll tell you what I did. I watched all of the D.C. Seattle game. I watched just little snippets, passing snippets of the 5 p.m. Eastern game, L.A. Wildcats at the Houston Roughnecks. I watched enough to hear Kurt Menefee on the first touchdown of the game yell, Touchdown, Renegades! It's the Roughnecks, but it's going to be hard for all of us to get used to this. I don't fault Kurt at all. So I watched a little bit of that because it's Saturday night. I have a semblance of a life. I went out to dinner with my wife and my in-laws and my brother-in-law and my nephew. We went out and had a nice dinner. And you know what? In the restaurant we went to, it's kind of not really a sports bar, but they got TVs up. None of them had the XFL game on. And I didn't care enough to ask them to put one on. I wanted to be engaged with the, the meal. It was basketball and like wrestling, not pro wrestling, just like college wrestling. And it's like... And my wife said, oh, you should ask him to put it on if you want to see it. It's like, yeah, yeah. three hours is enough of it today. And then yesterday, the choice was, and I'm being fully transparent here. The choice was Tampa Bay Vipers at New York Guardians or power nap. I mean, real, not the 20 minute power nap. I'm talking about nuclear power nap. I'm talking about, I'm talking about Rip Van Winkle on a Sunday afternoon. And I chose that instead. And then when I got up, it was time to work out. And instead of watching the end of the game, because I saw it wasn't close, it's like, eh, we'll watch the 5 o'clock game. And then the 5 o'clock game rolls around, and it's Sunday. We have Sunday dinner. So I had to go pick up the food, because we don't cook, and which is fine. The food's good. And, and that's not a knock on my, on my wife. It's, it's a, it's, you reach a point where you realize, unless you enjoy cooking, and I don't fault anyone who enjoys cooking, and sometimes there's a place for it. But when you get together every Sunday with 15 people, the time and effort spent on cooking food for 15 people, you can just go down to the Italian restaurant that's a half mile from the house and you can get a hell of a meal and bring it home. And it's probably as cheap as it is to go buy all that food. And if you put value on your time, it's definitely cheaper to just go pick it up. So it was kind of on like with the sound off and I would watch a little bit of it. And, you know, here's part of the problem. And this is exactly why the NFL 
had a blackout rule for all those years. When you turn on a t- uh, the TV and you see a football game and you see the entire upper deck of a stadium empty and the bottom deck in, in, in Dallas, it was, I guess it was kind of mostly full in New York. I guess it was very, very spotty. I have it taped. I'm going to watch some of it today. When you see no one's there, when you see how empty it is, the, the natural response is, well, why do I care? Right. If the people who live near the place don't care to show up to see it, why do I care to watch it? The game feels like a bigger deal when people are there. The D.C. game felt like a bigger deal because they play in a 20,000 seat soccer stadium. So because the attendance for all four games landed right between 17 and 18,000 for all four of the games, the games in Houston and D.C. on Saturday and the games in New York and Dallas on Sunday, all landed in that range of 17 to 18,000. So play in smaller stadiums. What are you doing playing in 40,000 seat stadium? What are you doing playing at MetLife Stadium? What are you doing Seattle going to play at CenturyLink Field? Although they supposedly had a surge of ticket sales after the Seahawks season ended. We'll see how many show up for their home opener. St. Louis, we'll see. We'll see. Because they, they have a run on tickets for spite. A, a middle finger to Stan Kroenke and the Rams. You put a professional football team in St. Louis post-Rams, and they're going to support them just, just to spite the Rams. So we'll see. We'll see. The D.C. crowd was the one that felt the most electric because... The stadium was full. So I like the kickoff. And here's how the kickoff works. The kickoff point is the 30. But all of the kicker's teammates are on the 35. And not his own 35. The other 35. And then 10 of the players from the receiving team are on the 30. Five yards apart. And they stand there until the receiver, the returner, catches the kick. And it looks like electric football. It's awesome. And it reduces the high-impact collisions. That's the NFL's concern with the kickoff play. You have large men running at full speed in opposing directions... And one of the Newtonian laws of physics kicks in. Because you've got force, velocity, acceleration, everything. And when they hit, moving in opposite directions. That's the problem. It's one thing for someone running at full speed to hit something that's standing still. It's another thing for... Two forces at maximum velocity going in separate opposite directions and they collide. The force is immense. Concussions, neck injuries, etc. When you only have five yards separating them, it's no big deal. And I don't know how far the longest kick return went, but the problem is it's kind of like Red Rover, man. You bust through and you're gone. Like... I, I, get, I, I need to think about the strategy here because it, it's like it really is like electric football. You've got 10 on 10, and they just move toward each other 
as the kicker starts to return it because you don't know which way he's going to go, so you have to seal off all of them. If he busts through one, the only guy deep is the kicker. You get through that first level, you're gone. Now, I saw one guy last night, a, a defensive player, get past the blocker and and blow up the the returner at the 20 which was pretty impressive but i like that formation before the nfl flushes the kick return here's the thing every kick had a return every one of them let's not be too proud nfl to cherry pick some of these ideas and then there was the point after touchdown situation no kicks You get it at the two for one point, the five for two points, and the 10 for three points. And they all kept going for one from the two. Why are you doing that? If you can, if you have a play that's good from the two, like there's a pretty good chance it's good from the five. I know it's a little slightly different concept. I just go from the five and go for two. You got to convert into the end zone anyway. It's a scrimmage play for a touchdown anyway. Why aren't you going for two? You make one out of two, it's like you're getting the one every time. I'd be tempted to go from the the, the 10 every time. Spread everything out a little bit. I don't know. Be interesting to see how this this, uh, plays out. Also, unprecedented access to coaches and players during the game. Miss a field goal. Why did you fail? Microphone right in your face. We're here with the kicker who just missed a 35-yard field goal. Are you kidding me? That wasn't the exact quote, but that's the attitude. It's great. They're in the locker room at halftime talking about adjustments and strategy. How do they keep the other team from watching that? It's amazing. You hear them calling the plays? The audio to the quarterback never shuts off. I think the CFL started doing that a couple of years ago, where you can keep talking to the quarterback during the play. The first game drew 3.3 million viewers on ABC. Last year, the Alliance of American Football on a Saturday night had 2.9 million on CBS up against an NBA game on ABC. Now, here's the thing. We got to be realistic about this, right? This weekend, next weekend, The following weekend, well, yes, this weekend, next weekend, the following weekend. It has the sporting landscape. Large, oh, no, next weekend's the NBA All-Star festivities. But but see, they're taking up the six hours in the afternoon, so they're not going to be up against any of that stuff. But there's still other events going on. See, my concern for this is in March, when the NCAA conference tournaments heat up and there's basketball all day long on Saturday and Sunday and then here comes March Madness and and I know for me I first forgot about the AAF the weekend before NFL free agency because there was so much to pay attention to there was so much going on with free agency looming it just didn't even occur to me that the AAF was on I completely forgot about it so you've got February to yourself March and April is going to be tough. We'll, we'll see 
what this can do. It's a curiosity for now. And I don't want to be, I'm, try, I'm trying to, I'm trying to strike the right balance here. Right. And, and I'm able to do that because ESPN and Fox have the TV content. I don't have to play nice with the XFL, whatever I want. Don't have to worry about any phone calls from anybody from NBC or, or the XFL. Hey, you're a partner. I'm not a partner. I can say whatever I want. I'm trying to find the sweet spot here. Like, what are our realistic expectations for this league? Is it going to last? They need stars. They need Johnny Manziel, who they don't seem to be interested in. They need Trevor Lawrence. They need to offer Trevor Lawrence $4 million to ditch Clemson. They need Colin Kaepernick. They need people who, who we will tune in to see. Not just we're curious because it's on TV. We're tuning in to see star players. And until they have that, it's going to be hard to sustain it. We're going to take a break. When we return, Michael Irvin floating an interesting theory. And then back, beep, 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 went Michael Irvin. We'll tell you what he said and then what he did to put the toothpaste back in the tube when PFT Live continues right after this. 22 minutes after the hour, it's Pro Football Talk Live on a Monday edition. Peter King joining me in about 40 minutes, and this is a topic he and I will discuss in the final two hours of the program. Get his thoughts on it. Michael Irvin, Cowboys Hall of Fame receiver, longtime broadcaster, was at NFL Network, then at ESPN. It didn't work out for him at ESPN, landed back at NFL Network. Very colorful. Generates a lot of attention and interest with the things he says. He's very entertaining. He was on WEEI on Friday. And he said, quote, some very significant people, end quote, told Irvin that the Cowboys may pursue hashtag Tommy in free agency. The Cowboys who have Dak Prescott under contract, the Cowboys who by all appearances, fully intend to apply the franchise tag to Dak Prescott if they can't sign him to a new contract before the deadline arrives for applying the franchise tag. The Cowboys, who have a bird in the hand who will play for the next decade or longer, going after a soon-to-be 43-year-old quarterback who has at most three seasons left. You can't put Dak Prescott on ice for Tom Brady. You apply the franchise tag to Prescott at $27 million and then you sign Brady to come in and play for a year or two? Are you kidding me? You'd have to let Prescott go. You'd have to trade him. You'd have to do something. Tag and trade. I don't know, but you can't have both. Irvin took to Twitter on Sunday to backpedal. He said that the, quote, very significant people, end quote, who told him that the Cowboys' interest in Brady did not include Jerry Jones or anyone else associated with the team. I never said Jerry or anyone else in the organization said this to me. It was not anyone with the Dallas Cowboys. Well, what qualifies as significant then? What's significant? Who are very significant people if it's no one with the Cowboys? Why would you say this if you didn't think there was some potential truth to it? I mean, is it part of just an effort to entertain? 
did he just say whatever? Is this just one of those moments where you get caught up in a radio interview and you get comfortable and the next thing you know, the words are out into the ether and you hope that no one noticed them? I never said Jerry or anyone else in the organization said this to me. It was not anyone with the Dallas Cowboys. That doesn't mean that no one said it to him. Now, look, when you consider that Jerry Jones is in win now because I don't know how many more seasons I have owning this team mode, when you consider that, when you consider the fact that Dak Prescott has Jerry Jones by the, what's the best word? I can't think of one. By the something and is squeezing and intends to keep squeezing. At what point, if you're Jerry Jones, do you say, screw you? You want $35 million a year? Go get it on the open market. You ain't getting it here. We'll get Tom Brady. Does Tom Brady really fit there? I guess they'd make the offense fit him. With Ezekiel Elliott in that line, and Amari Cooper, and whoever else they'd be able to attract, if they have Tom Brady, there's been some talk that there's going to be a super team. OBJ, Antonio Brown, if and when he ever gets cleared. Gronk comes out of retirement, although the Patriots hold his rights still. Or maybe they're just trying to apply a little pressure to Dak Prescott to get him to take less. I'll tell you what, Dak ain't blinking and Dak shouldn't blink. Go ahead, get Tom Brady. Have fun with Tom Brady. I'll go somewhere else. It'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. We'll PFT Live right after this. Thirty-four minutes after the hour on this Monday morning edition of Pro Football Talk Live. Haven't mentioned the Oscars. A couple of things about the Oscars real quickly before we move on. Matthew Cherry, who was a journeyman receiver, never played in a regular season game, but undrafted with several teams got out of football and got on to what Chuck Noll called his life's work and his life's work, filmmaking. He won the Oscar for Best Animated Short. That's the same category for which Kobe Bryant two years ago won the Oscar for Dear Basketball. Hair Love, the film by Matthew Cherry, financed it through a Kickstarter campaign. Seven minutes that's the the term short in the in the title but hey art is art it doesn't matter how long it is it could be the irishman and last forever or it could be a 7 minute film i wanted to give kids a character that normalizes and celebrates black hair cherry recently told nbc news black fathers get a bad rap in mainstream media so i also wanted to show them as present and caring versus the deadbeat dad stereotype that is often ascribed to them in film i haven't seen it but it's about an african-american father who's trying to trying to style his daughter's hair and it's good enough to win an oscar so I guess it's good enough for me to find it and see it if it's won the Oscar. That's a pretty good litmus test as to whether or not something is worth your time. And I'll tell you this, Parasite, best picture, best director, best original screenplay, definitely worth your time. I saw that several weeks ago. And 
the best movies for me are the ones where I enter the experience with no expectation, no advanced knowledge, no understanding. Just here we go. Parasite. I heard it's good. Let's watch it. That was the conversation that my wife and I had three weeks or so ago on a Friday night when we decided to buy it on Amazon or whatever, however we got it. It's like, ah, oh, you can't rent it yet. You know, you go through that, that dilemma because they, they make it available to buy as if you're ever going to watch it again. Although I now may, you buy it for 20 bucks or you wait a few weeks and you can rent it for five or six bucks. Well, do we really want to buy it? Do we want to see it so bad? And then you do the math. If we went to the movies, we'd at least spend this much and we'd buy popcorn and soda and we'd have to be around people. And, you know, if we have to pee in the middle of this when we just pause it and we go pee, we don't have to, we don't have to get the Jordan Palmer app and, and, uh, the run pee app. I guess that's still a thing that tells you exactly when in any movie the, the best time to go to the bathroom is. So we, we bought it and we watched it and, and it's awesome. And I'm not going to tell you anything about it other than it won the Oscar. I loved it. Watch it. And by now you probably can rent it. Although if they were smart, they'd pulled it off all platforms and put it back in theaters. Speaking of Jordan Palmer, he is one of the people who is getting Joe Burrow ready for the draft. And we've been talking about this dynamic. The trail of breadcrumbs that suggest maybe Joe Burrow is hoping the Bengals don't select him. I don't think Joe Burrow is going to make a power play. I don't think he's going to grandstand. I don't think he's going to say, I don't want the Bengals to draft me. Because if push comes to shove and the Bengals are going to make him the first overall pick and in turn give him the $36 million fully guaranteed over four years that goes along with it, I don't think he says no to that. Because your alternative is no football for a year, unless you want to go play for the XFL, which is not going to pay you anywhere close to what you're walking away from in Cincinnati. No guarantee that when you re-enter the draft, you're going to be the first overall pick or that you're going to be in a better spot, right? You may trade the Bengals for an organization worse than the Bengals. I don't want to name names here. I already got all the Bengals fans mad at me. Folks, when did it become a hot take? When did it become over the top? When did it become unfair? To say that the Bengals aren't very good and their owner has never really seemed like he wants to make them good. When did that become controversial? I got this guy in Cincinnati who's calling me and Carson Palmer out for suggesting that Joe Burrow shouldn't want to play for the Bengals. Look, I responded to the guy. I said, if Carson Palmer, who was there, who was a number one overall pick in Cincinnati, if he lived it from 2003 through 2011, and he's come to the conclusion after that much time that the team isn't serious about winning a Super Bowl, I have no reason to doubt him. And it's funny, when people want to support a position that that disputes yours, they'll twist and turn facts and then claim that you're not doing justice to the facts. I made a comment on Dan Patrick's show last week that the Bengals just want to make money and they're making plenty of money. Well, the item in the 
Cincinnati newspaper was along the lines of the Bengals are at the bottom or near the bottom of earnings, so they're really not making a lot of money. I'm not talking about revenue. I'm talking about profit. If you're at the bottom in revenue, it's all the more reason to be cheap. You're trying to preserve a profit margin. The less revenue you make, the more work you have to do on the other side to reduce expenses to make profit. You've proved my point. Here was my comment. I don't know if it made it into the final article. What happened was the guy posted an article on Friday and said he tried to reach me but didn't hear from me. Well, sending a message to a Facebook page that I never go to or I, I don't know how he tried to. And look, I'm easy to find. I'm easy to find. There was no phone call. There was no email directly to me. There was no text message to me. I'm easy to find. If he really wanted to find me, he could have gotten my number. He could have found me. Here's what I sent to him on Saturday. I've got no reason to dispute the perception of Carson Palmer based on his firsthand experiences with the Bengals, the Raiders, and the Cardinals. His viewpoint meshes with the longstanding and widespread reputation that the Bengals have in league circles for focusing more on profit than the pursuit of a Super Bowl championship. The low revenues that you've cited underscore the importance of spending less in order to ultimately maximize the gap between money in and money out. This really isn't some controversial take. It's just weird to me. It's weird. It's like, it's like Bengals fans have no problem with the team being bad as long as nobody points it out, right? The team's bad. It's been bad. But just don't point it out. If you point it out, we're going to get pissed. Just let us be bad. Let us be bad in peace. Don't state the obvious. Don't share the perceptions that Carson Palmer had based on multiple years in the building. Don't talk about the team's reputation in league circles for being extremely careful with money, as they need to be, given that they're near the bottom in total revenue. Don't do any of that. Just let them be bad in peace. Now, when we talked about this on Friday, I pointed out TJ Hushmanzada, who played with the Bengals. One of the various people who is providing us with the breadcrumbs that point to Joe Burrow, I believe, hoping the Bengals don't draft him, hopefully trying for his purposes behind the scenes to get the Dolphins to trade up or the Bengals to pass or to trade to someone else, but not willing at this point to say I won't play for the Bengals because he doesn't want to get in a box because the Bengals have all the leverage they draft him they just draft him as Peter King said last week Mike Brown will let him sit you don't want to come you don't want 36 million for four years fine it's less money I have to spend it fits the narrative wait you mean I can use the first overall pick on in, in, in the draft and not have to actually pay the guy I'll sign up for that. And then it's his fault, not my fault. No one can blame me for being cheap. I drafted the guy and he didn't come here. Oh, well. Sucks for him. $36 million stays in my pocket. It's all pure profit at that point. TJ Hushmanzada was on Colin Coward's show in July of 2018. And he was talking about just how cheap the Bengals were. They used to lock up the water in the Gatorade after practice. They, they Before Hushmanzada got there, Willie Anderson said that they would throw 
uh, into a pile in the middle of the room, used jock straps for the guys to basically pick out whichever one they wanted. And Hushmanzada said Willie Anderson and Kajana Carter, because they were first-round picks and had plenty of money, they went and bought new jock straps for the guys. They and and this one was stunning to me. You know, the home team in an NFL game, they find a hotel where they stay the night before the game. You don't stay at home the night before a game. They get everybody together in the same place. So they're all there. Team meetings, team meal, team everything, team bonding, and easy to keep everyone together. Hushmanzada said in his rookie with the Bengals, guys just stayed at home. And he said, if you were inactive last week and you assume you're going to be inactive next week, you just stay out all night and go straight from the club to the to the team facility. There's no there's no way to, to, to keep the guys, you know, together, to keep them from going out all night and getting drunk and showing up and whatever. Because it was cheaper to not get enough hotel rooms for 53 guys. I remember not all that long ago. Now, Marvin Lewis eventually changed this. There was a time when the Bengals did not have scouts. The assistant coaches did the scouting after the season ended. And they were always behind everyone else because they're coaching during the season while other team scouts are scouting. Remember when the Bengals used to draft in mid to late rounds guys who had off-field issues? Remember that? Guys like A.J. Nicholson, Chris Henry... Seemed like every year they were drafting a guy who was off of other teams' boards. They weren't doing it because Mike Brown had this grand desire to be Father Flanagan and reform troubled souls. They did it, as someone explained to me back at the time, because they didn't know who else to draft. So you get to round five, and A.J. Nicholson's still there, and despite you know a history of misconduct off the field that caused him to be available in round five, he's a first-round talent. So if we don't take him, we don't know who else to take. Let's just take him. That's how it happened. That's how they were drafting guys that were off other teams' boards. Because the talent was undeniable. It was other reasons why they were off the boards. But when you got down to the guy who is, uh, you know, the guy who um, is available versus all these other guys that you haven't really been able to scout, you take the guy who's good. And you deal with the potential bad later. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Plenty more PFT Live still to come. When we return, what the Saints may be bracing for and what they may be planning for as it relates to restricted free agent, master of all trades, Taysom Hill. We'll discuss that next right here on PFT Live. 52 minutes after the hour, Pro Football Talk Live. Peter King joins me in eight minutes. Peter King spoke recently with Sean Payton, the Saints head coach, regarding... Taysom Hill, master of all trades, quarterback who can do it all, quarterback who can run, who can throw, who can catch, who can play special teams, he can block punts. He's done everything but kick. He could probably kick. So, Sean Payton was asked by Peter King whether he thinks a team will make a run at Taysom Hill, whose contract is expired and who is scheduled to be a restricted free agent. Not unrestricted, restricted, meaning the Saints have the ability to apply 
a tender offer at one of multiple levels up to a first-round pick as compensation. If Taysom Hill signs an offer sheet and the Saints don't match it, they get that first-round pick as compensation. Here's what Peyton said. I think someone is going to make him an offer. But the first thing the fan has to understand is if we tender Taysom as a first-rounder, the team that makes the offer on him and signs him to an offer understands they're going to give up a first-round pick if we don't match. That's easier to do if you're pick number 22, number 23, number 24, number 25. We very might well see if it's a team in the second half of the first round. Now, Peyton also was asked by King. Well, more specifically, Peyton was told by King that King would like to see Peyton coach Hill for the next 10 years. Peyton said, I'd like to do that. He was a valuable claim for us like gold bullion. You know, my first thought is, why is Sean Payton talking about this so openly? He's almost daring someone to sign Taysom Hill to an offer sheet. Here's what I think. Here's what I gleaned from this. Number one, first, obviously, the Saints don't anticipate signing Taysom Hill to a new contract without letting someone else determine his market via this process of signing him to an offer sheet. Secondly the Saints will apply the first-round tender, the highest possible tender. There was some hope, I believe, from Taysom Hill's camp that they would come in lower than that. They're going all the way to the first round, which guarantees not guarantee, it's not guaranteed money like a franchise tender, but it does set a salary at $6 million or so, and as a practical matter, it guarantees he'll make that. That's still far less than he deserves. He should get a lot more. Also, Sean Payton won't be surprised if a team in the lower reaches of the round makes that offer to Taysom Hill, willing to give up a low first-round pick to get him. 22, 23, 24, 25 are the Bills, Patriots, Saints, and Vikings, respectively. Obviously, the Saints won't be one of them. The Patriots are a team I'd watch. And here's why I'd watch the Patriots. Because the fly in the ointment comes from this possibility. And let me just finish my thought from earlier. I think that when the offer sheet is signed by Taysom Hill, I think it will be matched by the Saints. I think the Saints are confident that whatever... Hill ultimately is offered, they'll pay it, and then they can thank whoever signed him to the offer sheet for doing their work for him. See, teams have been reluctant to sign guys with that right of first refusal because at the end of the day, if the original team matches, you, you, you've just done free negotiating work for that team, right? You've, you've, you've done them a favor. Thank you. Thank you. It was going to be a difficult negotiation. Your offer sheet allowed us to streamline it dramatically. Here's the fly in the ointment. Here's the thing the Saints need to be concerned about. The Patriots extend a one-year offer to Taysom Hill for $17 million with a commitment that on expiration of the deal, the franchise tag and the transition tag would not be applied. That's still permitted. The Steve Hutchinson poison pill, how many games do you play in Minnesota versus Washington? Remember all that stuff that went down 14 years ago between the Seahawks and the Vikings? That is no longer allowed. But a term that applies equally to both sides, because here's the thing. If you get him and you give up first-round pick, you have him on a one-year deal with no ability to apply the franchise tag or the transition tag next year. You are literally getting what you pay for. But if the Saints match... Taysom Hill hits the open market next year. I remember the Patriots signing Emmanuel Sanders to a one-year offer sheet when he was a restricted free agent with the Steelers. The Steelers matched it, 
But the idea was, hey, next year he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. You're doing the guy a favor. You're purchasing his free agency. Now, the Patriots ultimately didn't sign Sanders, but they ensured that he'd be available to be signed. That's what you do. That's the play. And and the risk you're taking, obviously, is that he comes and plays for you for one year and and then he leaves and you've squandered a first-round pick. But I think the potential value, the skill that we've seen from Taysom Hill, I would do it. One year, $17 million, no franchise tag, no transition tag, and if the Saints match it, I get to go try to sign Taysom Hill next year on the open market. If you're the Patriots, or if you're a team that maybe doesn't need a quarterback this year, but may need a quarterback next year, like the Vikings or the 49ers, maybe you think about doing the same thing. More PFT Live right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.